suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. Despite the reputation of their homeland, some are remarkably thin-skinned, some seem to have multiple lifespans, a few were once thought to be extinct in the region, others have been observed being sacrificed by their own. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We are up to episode 175, and it is the 20th of November 2018. We're back in our normal abode here um, at Meerkat Central, out <laughs> on top of our hill, looking out, checking what's happening. And with me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And tonight we are drinking the last from our first two beer sponsors. We are drinking the uh, last beer from Woz, which was a... What have you got, Trevor? I've got a Bolter. Bolter. Yeah, Bolter. Mm-hmm. And a robust Porter. Paul's drinking that back. And I'm on uh, the Stone and Wood Pacific Ale from Land and Hardbottom. Mm-hmm. And starting next week, we start on our second... Our third beer sponsor, Bronwyn. Thank you very much, Bronwyn. I was up there today and I collected the three six-packs that you sent us. So that'll carry us through until Christmas, at which time we'll be after another beer sponsor. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to become a beer sponsor, please just email trevor at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au. This is, this is proving to be your forte. It is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, uh, Paul, the 12th man. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Scott. G'day, listeners. Yeah, I'm drinking one of the Bridge Road Brewers, which I've never seen. Mm. But, look, I should mention it's it's got 5.2% alcohol in it, this one. I hope mm. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Well, you're not driving, so it's no problem. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's true. Go your hardest then. <laughs> Bronwyn, our beer sponsor, thought that our conversations improved with beer. Oh, did she? Yes. And right. she's actually one of our regular contributors in messages and things. So, yeah. And we will be... Uh, using something that she contributed a bit later in the podcast. So a true, um, oh, what's the word? Um, devotee. Devotee. No, or, not really devotee. Yeah. A, uh, helper of the podcast. Helper exactly. seems lying, yeah. but we'll, we'll come up with a better word. But yeah. anyway, thank you to uh, to Roman. And I've also got a confession to make. Uh, Wayno dropped me around a six-pack of dark rabbit or something like that, or, mm-hmm. and I've drunk it all. So oh. <laughs> So I've got to go and find it and, and add it to the pile and give it to you. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's enough of the, uh, the beer introductions. <laughs> Dear listener, if you're listening for the first time, this is not a beer review podcast. No, or, or it's, it's not. quickly turning into one. We look at news and politics and things going on in the world and we uh, try and uh, imagine you at a water cooler um, on a Monday morning or perhaps at a dinner party with some friends or just around a barbecue and... Topics of news come up, and you want to contribute something and a little something a little bit insightful. And if you listen to this podcast, you'll come up with a half a dozen things every week. That's the aim of the game. So, without further ado, 
we've got a bunch of different topics and, yes, we'll do a bit of a ScoMo bash later on, but we'll try and avoid him initially. And we've got a few <laughs> international things. So we're normally focused on Australia, but there's a few things happening internationally that's of interest. And first of all, I came across an article about Stephen Fry. I think he might be in Australia or this article... Was that some writers' conference or something? Yes, Festival really... of Dangerous Ideas or something. Yeah, Wasn't I think it might have been Australian. in town recently? I think I yeah, can't tell you. Yeah. Anyway, he had this to say, which I reckon more or less sums up this podcast and what we've discovered over the last three years, which is a Grand Canyon has opened up in our world. On one side is the new right, promoting a bizarre mixture of Christianity and libertarianism. On the other, the illiberal liberals obsessed with identity politics and complaining about things like cultural appropriation. These tiny factions war above while the rest of us watch aghast from the chasm below. That's what we've been discovering. It's a pretty good characterisation, isn't it, really? Because, Mm. uh, you know, gone are the days when you're either in the Liberal camp or the Labor camp, at least for people like us, because we sort of... Really, just as he says, we sort of stand back and say, the, the world's gone topsy-turvy on us. Mm. It has gone a bit wonkers. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I think Stephen Fry's hit the nail right on the head. Mm. And it makes me wonder whether or not the guys that are actually promoting the whole political moves around the world, whether or not they're listening to it. And if they are, you've got to, under, you know, you've, you've got to question what the hell were they thinking. See, I can understand that the right has gone Christian and libertarian because the Christians are motivated and they've decided to pick a party or a side of politics and and work on it for their own ends. I can understand how they've hijacked the right, if you Mm, like. I understand that. But I, I really struggle with the left being hijacked by identity politics and cultural appropriation and not being able to understand the evils and the dangers of those things. It just uh, surely the left, they've just capitulated to virtue signalling and all the rest of it that um, I would have hoped for better. Yeah, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because yeah. as little sort of um, empathy we have for, for, for Christianity or for people who you know, see their lives shaped by some supernatural being up above... It's at least we can sort of understand them on a certain level, can't we? Mm-hmm. We can sort of understand where they're coming from. Mm. But the illiberal left, they're supposed to be our natural allies and yet they've gone gone mad. You know, they've wandered down this this uh into this postmodernist maze of, of nonsense and gobbledygook. Mm. Anyway, that's where we're at today. I it reckon makes it's... no sense whatsoever. I, I can't understand you know, I, I'm with both of you. I mm. can sort of understand the Christians trying to take over the right, although, you know, they're going to lose in the longer term. But the left makes absolutely no sense. Mm. Now, uh, we haven't spoken much about Brexit, really, considering that it's been in the news a lot in the recent times, but yeah. uh, I thought we would uh, address the Brexit situation. Theresa May is mm. looking like she's on shaky ground right now. Yeah. Teresa, if you're listening to the podcast. Yeah, we've got some tips for you. But but first, (laughs) dear listener, here's a quiz for you, dear listener. Listen carefully to this one. Are you ready? What is the difference between Great Britain and the United Kingdom? Is there a difference and what is it? 
are those terms interchangeable? And dear listener, I did not warn the Velvet Glove or the 12th Man about this question. A little trivia quiz to test their general knowledge. So Great Britain, the United Kingdom, are they the same thing? No, they're not. The United Kingdom is England, Scotland and Wales and Great Britain is England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. No, sorry. Okay. (laughs) United Kingdom is England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Oh, really? And Great Britain is the whole of the British Isles, isn't it? Is that how it goes? Oh, you were close until the last, until the end. Except for, well, Ireland, I mean, it's part of the British Isles, even though it is an independent country, but... Uh, Okay, here's the explanation. It's very interesting, this, because we hear the terms, and I've always been a little bit uncomfortable about them, but... A mate of mine, uh, the late Paul Healy, who died oh, 13 years ago, age 38, well, hailed from uh, England and he explained it to me. I forgot it at the time, but I've, I've gone back to it because I remember him talking about the difference. And, in fact, lots of people in England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland could not tell you these differences that we're about to come across. So what we had was in um, the Middle Ages... Um, Well, for a start, the British Isles are the group of islands off the coast of Europe. So that includes Britain and Ireland and a bunch of smaller islands like the Isle of Wight and things like that. So that's the British Isles. In the Middle Ages, the name Britain also applied to the main island that we know as Great Britain, but it also, um, the the term Britain referred to uh, a patch of land um, part of Britain that was on uh, French soil, or currently French soil. Brittany. So, yes. So, in order to distinguish the, 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 the uh, European mainland um, uh, Brittany from the island, they referred to the island part as Great Britain. So, that is what we understand Wales, England and Scotland to be. That island is Great Britain named so to distinguish it from the bit that was on the French territory as part of Britain. So there we go. So main island is Great Britain, and when they acquired Ireland, it then became the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. And, of course, we had the breakaway and we ended up with just Northern Ireland. So it's now the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So, okay. Uh, so I had just had mine asked about. Yeah, them. you had them around the wrong way. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yes. So uh, Great Britain is England, Wales, and Scotland. Uh, the UK, you need to tack on Northern Ireland, and that gives you the United Kingdom. So, uh, and the British Isles are all of those islands. So there we go. So when we're talking about uh, Brexit and the United Kingdom and Britain, we know where we are. Right. So. Of course, they had a vote, and the vote was to leave the uh, European Union. And uh, the problem, that's caused a lot of problems. (laughs) It's caused a hell of a lot of problems. And it's probably fair to say that lots of people had no idea what the true extent of the problems that they were causing. They didn't understand what they were voting for. Mm. And this is the whole point. I mean, the, the whole thing was set up very simplistically by the Leave campaign. They said, you know, they had pictures of migrants and all that sort of thing, and they said, you know, all this money going to Brussels, blah, 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 blah. 
None of that turned out to be true. But it was also the immigration issue. Absolutely. Where they were worried about open borders and people coming in. And that was the whole point. This is the the whole point that David Cameron went to have a meeting with Angela Merkel about and he wanted something. She gave him nothing. Mm. And that's why Brexit happened. Mm. So then they voted to leave. And the question is, do we completely cut ourselves off from the European Union uh, and be treated, you know, for example, like Australia's relationship with the European Union, or that would be a hard Brexit, or do we have some sort of middle ground approach like I think Norway and some countries like that have where they've got some sort of agreements regarding customs and things so that there's an easy transport of goods, so soft Brexit, if you like. Yeah. And uh, so the difficulty is that... uh, Harking back to the map that I was looking at before, we've got the Republic of Ireland, which is separate to Northern Ireland, and there's a border between those two, mm-hmm. which currently sheep's just wander, sheep just wander across and say to people, like, it's a very, very informal border between the two. There's 200 border crossings mm. in that particular one area alone. Right. So if you had a hard Brexit, you'd have to put on 200... Border crossings. Yes. You'd have to put up border towers and all that sort of stuff along that entire border. Yeah. And given the history of the segregation between yeah. uh, the two areas, they really don't want to go back to a segregated island because no, they, they just went through hell with that. Mm-hmm. Mind you, if it's just segregated because of border restrictions of customs and things. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to degenerate in our Catholic and Protestant battle again. Just putting a wall up for borders, for <laughs> customs, doesn't necessarily mean a return to violence, does yeah, it? Yeah, but it you, know, you know what Christians are like, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they take any excuse to throw rocks at one another. Yes, but we still need to look at recent history in, in the Irish Republic and, you know, the passage of... Uh, marriage equality, uh, abortion. They're proving to be quite reasonable. I think a lot of people of the current generations have grown up and they've looked back and and into their dark past and said, wasn't that mad? Mm -hmm. And all because of, you know, religion, the Protties and the the Catholics. Mm. I I, I doubt very much that as many young Irish would uh, would go down that path as perhaps their forebears would have. So anyway, Theresa May is looking at that border and she's going, I really don't want to put up a massive wall here. And how about this for an idea uh, to, the Euro- to Merkel and the European, to Brussels? She's saying, how about Northern Ireland basically... Um, uh, complies with all of your customs rules plus all of your trade rules. And that way we could keep the border open between the two. And then the, the then Great Britain, i.e. Wales, England and Scotland, uh, will also comply in terms of customs arrangements but not necessarily other sticky trade stuff. Or immigration. So, yeah. So... So that's a very, very soft Brexit and really essentially the problem with that is you're more or less staying bound by European regulations 
but you have no say in them because mm-hmm. you've withdrawn from the group. So you just are going to cop whatever decisions they make, plus pay a $50 billion divorce bill. Yeah. So they're facing a situation where quite possibly they're going to be forced to comply with all European rules and have no say in them. Well, it's just the worst of all worlds if that's what the happens. The only European rule they won't have to comply with is they won't have to accept people from Poland, Romania and all those countries just arriving on their doorstep, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Now, they could still cross the border into Northern Ireland, but then they can't get it across to Great Britain Yep, from the Northern Ireland. Yep. Part of the whole country. It wasn't, I think I understood that to be one of the central reasons why so many people voted to leave. And it wasn't your affluent middle-class people who wanted to leave. It no, it was, was the poor. It was yeah. the poor who were, I, I forget the figures exactly, but the net immigration per year was, you know, it might have been 50,000 a year. It went up to like four hundred, three or 400,000 a year, didn't it? Oh, I don't know. The and that's why so many working-class people were, seeing, were, were afraid that their jobs were being taken well, by well, this, this, immigrants. This is what always happens with the immigration debates yeah. in, in whatever country, is it's very easy for the elite to say, welcome everybody, because the Polish immigrant is going to be working on a building site as a taxi driver, as a cleaner, as a cook or whatever. And if you've got an elitist job as a lawyer or a journalist or... You or know, you're selling goods into the European you're, you're, common market. Yeah, you're not in trouble. But if you're a taxi driver, you are. Yes. So it's 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 easy for somebody in a leader situation to say welcome yes. um, because they're not personally at risk. That's so right. they have less skin in the game. Yeah, you, you, hit, you hit the nail right on the head. And this morning on The mm. Signal, when I was listening to that podcast, they had a uh, journalist there who'd said he'd been around the country and that sort of thing, and he, he ran into someone that he was speaking to about the Brexit issue before Brexit and then after Brexit. And he said, what you've got to remember here is that the global financial crisis was created by the rich people and paid for by the poor. Mm-hmm. Brexit has been created by the poor and will be paid for by the rich. <laughs> you know, And this is exactly what's happening. You've already got the exodus of banking jobs out of London, which are heading for Frankfurt, Paris, Dublin, mm. you know, it's going to be a hell of a mess. It's going to be ugly. And but what about the, the European Parliament? Now, I haven't read extensively on this, but the impression I get is that it's not very democratic, that it's a bunch of European bureaucrats making the rules and everybody just has to follow them. That's the tale that's told. I don't know, how true. It, I don't know how true it is. It's I mean, like, I know they have elections to the hmm. European Parliament, but... Yeah. How representative are they of the of the common people? I mean, they talk about the bureaucrats in Brussels, but with all these things, it's hard to know where the truth is and, and how much democracy comes into it. But um, the other thing, of course, is Scotland is relatively wealthy because of oil, mm-hmm. and they were already thinking about... What's the population of Scotland? It's like 5 million. It's quite small. Yeah, I don't know. Whereas England is like... 50 or 60 million. Yeah. So uh, Scotland, I think even before Brexit, Scotland had been contemplating breaking away. They did. They had that referendum on it, but it was was narrowly defeated. Yeah. But given the catastrophe that is Brexit 
And given that the oil's still there and making a lot of money, this could be just another trigger for Scotland to say, well, uh, we don't like this um, arrangement. We'll break away from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and become our own little country and make our own arrangements. Thank you very much. Yeah, and the difficulty with that is that you've got to convince 100% of those existing European countries to let you in. Right. Spain doesn't want Catalonia to break away because Catalonia wants to break away and rejoin the European Union. You need a unanimous agreement of the other. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Ah. So Spain is going to be a thorn in the side to Scotland's ascension into the European Union because they don't want to set an example, Ah. which could then be repeated by Catalonia. Interesting. Yeah. Very good, Scott. So there we go. So there could end up being a border because obviously Scot- Scotland's in the north. There could be a border between Scotland and England set up much like the border that there might be between it's been Northern there Ireland and the Republic years. of Ireland. <laughs> so, Hasn't it? Hadrian's Wall? I don't know what the... I don't know what yeah, the, Hadrian's Wall is basically yeah. where the border is. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what you've got. Right. Mm. But I don't know how many crossings there are between... England and Scotland. There's probably oh, it's more. just a few rocks you just climb over. <laughs> probably not many because it's a tough place to go to. <laughs> Who wants to go there? <laughs> I haven't been. Have you? Have you been? I've been to Scotland. Yeah, oh, I quite good. liked it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I went up to uh, I went up to the uh, village where my grandmother set off from when she was a little baby. Yep. Kilmarnock, and me and the better half went to from there. We went to Edinburgh and Glasgow. Right. And that was it. But we've still got more of Scotland to see because we'd like to go right up to the north and all that sort of stuff to go see the Shetland Islands, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Yep. So um, so anyway, May is proposing this transition period where the Northern Ireland will basically obey all rules of the European Union and England will at least obey the customs rules so that products can still come and go. And they'll do that until a trade deal is done between the United Kingdom and the EU. But if a trade deal is never done, then this could just keep going on forever. So a really ugly situation and um, what a mess. One of the things that came out of the podcast I was listening to this morning was that the bloke has now given the chance of a second vote, gone up to 60% now. He reckons that there will be a second vote of the where they will be asked to vote. What a mess that would be. Well, absolutely, but they'll, they'll be asked to vote on they'll be asked to, they'll be asked to vote do you prefer a hard Brexit where you just walk away? Uh, do you prefer the Theresa May thing or do you want to vote to remain? Uh, hang on. I, well, then that's a disaster because democratically they've had their vote. If you just keep having votes until you like the one that you get. Well, this is the whole what a, point. What a problem that would be. <laughs> yeah. If you just keep saying, we're going to have a referendum. Yeah, if we the, don't like the result, we'll ask another referendum. Yeah, but you, you, have a referendum, you have a second referendum to gauge what the position is. And, and you know, if you, if you actually know exactly what you're voting for, which I don't believe they did know what they're voting for. Like, for example, all the Brits and that sort of stuff who go across to Spain and everything on their holidays, they've never had to worry about travel insurance because the NHS follows them. It's not going to follow them anymore. They're going to have to go across there. And they're going to have to have travel insurance. Mm. And this is all the sorts of things that's, that that's, they didn't think about at the time. Yeah. I think travel insurance is is pretty down on the scale <laughs> compared the, with people their problems, losing yeah. their jobs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But it's one of those things that they didn't con- they didn't contemplate. Mm. Mm. Right. Well, there we go. That's a bit of a rundown on Brexit. 
Um, I would not not want to be in Theresa May's shoes right now. She's got a hell of a job on. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the idea was nobody was challenging her because everybody looked at the situation and realised this is just there's no easy fix here. No, there's, there's not. There's only just disaster. Why, why challenge her and get the leadership? Because you'll just be stuck with a headache that you can't fix, and you'll so so. She's survived and may continue to simply because nobody wants the poisoned chalice. Well, that this is the, yeah, uh, this is the whole point. job I mean, look like a holiday. It does. It does. Yeah, it yes. does. But you know, it is the whole point. They can have Scomo. There's yeah. the <laughs> so you want to swap them? Can there? we nominate him for <laughs> the next? I will. British <laughs> Prime Minister. So what? You're going to send Scomo over there? We're going to bring Theresa over here, are we? Anybody. I think I'd, I'd prefer <laughs> yes. Theresa May to ScoMo. Well, so would I because she's a sensible human being. Yeah, she yeah she won't make those terrible rude comments about Pamela Anderson. No. That ScoMo did. So, so, yeah, dear listener, like he just puts his foot in everything, this guy. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll quickly divert the Scott Morrison-Pamela <laughs> Anderson story. So... So Julian Assange is in trouble and the US authorities have, have, I think, stated that they've got some charges, fresh charges that they're ready to lay on him. And Pamela Anderson, ironically, from Baywatch fame, is is an Assange supporter. And um, Scott Morrison, as part of talking about the whole Assange issue, said... Oh, I don't know about Pamela Anderson's views, but a number of my mates are willing to be a special envoy to sort out the Pamela Anderson problem. <laughs> <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And, um, and of course, well, Pamela Anderson came out and said, well, that's a very inappropriate thing to say. And very unchristian. Yes. And just plain stupid. Just such a blokey wanker. But anyway... Off, off Scott Morrison, if I get going on him, I'll not stop. That's um, true. <laughs> um, Population-wise, so the boomers, of course, have had a lot of power politically, baby boomers we're talking about, because they're such a large part of our population, such a big voting block. But according to this article, millennials um, are now, as a generation, the biggest voting block. So those born from the mid-80s to the turn of the century. And, of course, they're growing. So maybe, maybe the politicians will recognise this and bring about some more progressive policies to do with housing and things like this because millennials are struggling to buy a house. And I wouldn't hold my breath. No, I wouldn't. But, um, but there we go. Increasingly, millennials will be a force to be reckoned with as a voting block. Uh, you know, policies that suit young people could be a winner. And, you know, it's high time because the boomers have had it very good for a very long time. Yep. You know, they have raped the country. Well, they've <laughs> certainly taken their, their share of, more than their share. Well, they things. did. I mean, like, you know, this is I the whole point. The yeah, they did yeah, rape Paul, the country, Paul. Paul. <laughs> they did rape. Because, you I'm, know. I'm an ex. Are you a, what are you? Ex, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but you're a boomer. Yeah. yeah. See, you uh, Okay, I'm a rapist. Yeah, so just come put it out there. Right, they did. They got. They got. Um, they had their edu. They had their free education. Free education. Cheap housing to buy. Exactly. Sorry, I went to here. university as a mature age student. Mm. I started my degree the first year that they introduced hex. I did not get a free education, oh. mind you. 
It was cheaper than it is now. It is. Right. It was cheaper than what it is yeah. now. There's no problem. But, but I know. paid for it. Mm. Yeah, that's no problem. You're not a classic. You're um, not a classic boomer. Boomer. We'll forgive you. I'm a deviant it. boomer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but the classic boomer had free education and then once they got into office, they said, oh, this is costing the country a lot. We're going to have to introduce HEX. Yeah. So they introduced HEX. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. This is and, what they and, have done. Then with superannuation. Exactly. They, they really made it um, a Pretty good deal. They made it a very good deal for themselves, and then they've start. Then the government's starting to look at that thing themselves. Geez, this is far too good. This is far yeah. too generous. We're going to have to pay that back. Mm-hmm. I mean, these parasites. Oh, <laughs> Scott, gotta calm down. Calm down. Scott. You're the velvet glove. I know I'm that. The iron fist. I can't stand <laughs> just, just, baby boomers. <laughs> Oh, my God. Am I walking home tonight? No, you're not walking home, Paul. It's no problem. No, they... It's not their fault because you, you create a system. Which they, gonna... which they created yeah, for themselves. Yeah, but you're going to take advantage of it. So you're a baby boomer. Oh, look, uh, negative gearing. Uh, it just makes sense. I'll buy some investment properties. Oh, look, superannuation. It makes sense. I'm going to whack my money in that. So you can't. Blame them all, but you, or you can, you, but you can legitimately say they've had a good run. They've and, had a bloody good run, and um, mm. yeah. So there we go. Uh, so anyway, they're now um, as a voting block deteriorating, and and the millennials will come through. But at the moment, they don't care. So baby boomers. You can well, the boomers don't care, and all that sort of thing, because you know whatever governments do, they always have a provision. They always have a timing provision so that everything comes out. And they whack Generation X on the head. Right. (laughs) So we're going to end up paying for the boomers. Please keep paying for a little bit longer. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, speaking of – now, if you want to talk about a despicable group, Scott, don't Mm. worry about the baby boomers. Just talk about – well, as a group, no. Just despicable. Amazon. Oh, yeah. They are criminal. Jeff, worse Jeff, than the baby boomers. Jeff, they the are worse than the baby boomers. How do we pronounce boomers. his name again? Jeff Bezos? Jeff, Jeff Bezos. He's so, an animal. So what we've got, dear listener, is we've got the richest man in the world by a long way now. And mm-hmm. and the way things are lining up, he's just going to be streets ahead. He's just continuing to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And Amazon, his company, which just sells everything in the States, and they've just arrived here, so... They are, um, you know, just making money hand over fist. But what happens? Well, what's Amazon was going to decided it needed not one but two new headquarters, and it was going to be somewhere in mainland USA. So they basically went round to uh, called out to all of the the mayors of all the cities in the United States of America and said, "We've got." all these people that we're going to be putting in our headquarters and um, what incentives can you give us in order to put our headquarters in your city? And uh, it was a 13-month pageant that saw 238 cities and their elected officials prostate themselves to Jeff Bezos uh, and he ended up selecting New York and Washington, D.C., and for that privilege, for example, the state of New York will reward Amazon with $1.5 billion in incentives, which the city provides um, 
uh, while the city provides. So in addition to the, the state of New York, you've also got the city providing uh, tax abatements for the next 25 years. 25 years? And, um, and Amazon will receive subsidies of upward of $48,000 per employee. Uh, so this, thing, this, isn't it? But this is becoming commonplace where large organisations say, we're going to move. Who's going to give us a deal? And these cities fall over themselves. It happens here in Australia too. Exactly. It does happen here in Australia. Exactly. So, um, so in America, uh, the cities and states spend up to $90 billion in tax breaks and cash grants to try and get companies to yeah. move in. And in Australia... Uh, I've got a link to an article here uh, about Queensland. Um, QCA, not sure who that refers to. Queensland, don't know. Look up the link, dear listener. But they, between the period of 2013 to 2018, they identified 112 measures which provided $25.3 billion in assistance to companies. That's just Queensland. And I can remember Virgin, um, you know, casting around for deals. And in an iron fist velvet glove government, we would be saying to the states, no, no. special deals for these guys exactly. because they're just going to play you off each other. Mm-hmm. So th- this is the worst arrangement we could possibly agree to where these companies say, well, we get a special deal because we're so big that you're going to give us something that other companies don't get. Mm-hmm. And it costs the state government's budgets, well, in Queensland's case, $25 billion. Mm. These things should be outlawed so that you just have to have your general laws applying to everybody and let the cards fall where they may because, once again, these companies are just ripping us off. But they are ripping us off and it does make me wonder whether or not Adelaide had missed out because they couldn't afford to try and coax companies to set up in Adelaide. Oh, look, people, they wouldn't want to send their headquarters to Adelaide anyway. Oh, that's wants true. to live in Adelaide, yeah. but no. they just <laughs> use it as a bargaining chip. Yeah, exactly. They say to Adelaide, give us your best possible deal, yeah. and then they go to Queensland, okay, try and beat that. Yeah. And they're just playing, you know, states off against each other. It shouldn't be allowed. We shouldn't be doing it. Your words so what is crazy. the solution? Legislate you, that legislate. nobody can do it. Yeah. No, what you do is you, you'd sit there and you'd, you, you've got an iron fist velvet glove government in Canberra that sits down and says, right, whatever money you hand over to companies, that's coming out of your pay. So <laughs> if, if what, they refuse to agree to it. If like, they refuse to agree to it, they'd say that, that's, a, that's fine, but the Commonwealth grants to your state are going mm. to be reduced by the amount of money that you give to these companies. Yeah, that's true. That's one way of doing it. And then I'm not sure if that works, but it sounds good. Well, yeah. it would work because yeah. they'd be lost for they wouldn't have mm. any cash. Mm. So there we go. Um, and and it, there's also the point that some very small countries they do the same thing. You know, these yeah. you know large you know American, European, whatever companies decide to set up a factory in some developing country, and they also get huge tax breaks. Well, we were speaking earlier about Ireland. They set up. Ridiculously um, low, small, Apple low company taxes. Yeah, yes. so uh, um, so Apple and other Apple cleaned other up in Ireland, yes. didn't they? Yeah, so they should have been declared a rogue state because of their tax, and and should have suffered you know international yes. penalties as a result. And of but, course, we're competing with Singapore for, yes. for um, certain 
corporate headquarters, aren't we? Well, yeah. that's why you've mm. got. That's why you've got. Um, uh, BHP runs a fair amount of its operations via Singapore because they can then funnel the money out of Australia and pay mm-hmm. lower taxes. Pay, what is it, 12% or something, something like that in Singapore? Singapore. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, it doesn't matter whether we're talking Labor or Liberal. They mm. all do it. I know. Like, what, you know, surely the, the Labor governments should have said, forget it. But it's difficult when you know some people aren't going to abide by an agreement. So you, they should come to an agreement on these sorts of things so that um, others can't take advantage of a situation. Well, one would have thought they, in the G20 they could well, sit down and say, look, this is enough's enough. We've got to stop bending over backwards for these mm-hmm. guys and we've just got to say no more. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, increasingly when it comes to economic issues, there's very little between the Labor and Liberal parties or the Democrat and the Republican parties. And I was reading this quote from The Intercept where this guy was being interviewed, uh, Chris Hedges was being interviewed, and the questioner said, is there a difference in your view between the Democratic and Republican parties given everything we're seeing now in the era of Trump? And this guy, Chris Hedges, said, well, of course there's a difference. It's how you want your corporate fascism delivered to you. <laughs> he said... Do you want it delivered by a Princeton-educated Goldman Sachs criminal or do you want it delivered by a racist, nativist, Christian fascist? <laughs> Some choice. That's right. You're going to get the same thing. It's just how it's delivered. Of course, the latter was essentially what the Trump administration is. And, uh, you know, you could say the same about our two parties. That, you know, you're going to get the same sort of yeah. corporate fascism. It's just who's going to deliver it to you because they're both given deals. It's been like that for quite a while, though, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if a, a company sets up a uh, like an aluminium smelter or whatever it is, you know, they're always getting cut rate, cut rate uh, deals on their electricity supply. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've heard aluminium described as uh, solidified electricity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they get it, like, cheap whereas the rest of us have to pay the normal market rate or mm. probably more. Mm. Dear listener, which are the wealth- wealthiest countries in the world and how does Australia rank? How do you measure that? Good question, 12th man. So if you were to take the uh, wealth of a country uh, and divide it by the number of adults, the richest country in the world is Switzerland with an average wealth per adult of $530,000. Second on the list, Australia, 411. United States, 403. Belgium, 313,000. Norway, 291. New Zealand, 289. So if you take the wealth of the country and divide it by the number of adults, we rank second. Seems a fair way of calculating it. But there's another way you could do it as well, is you could line up all Australians from the poorest Australian to the richest Australian based on their wealth and then look at the person who's smack bang in the middle and say, so this is the median wealth uh, as opposed to the mean that we are looking at before. 
And if you take the median, then guess who's on top? Australia. Really? Yes. Number one at $191,453 as the person smack bang in the middle of the Australian adult population lined up from poorest to richest. Next on the list, Switzerland, then Belgium, then Netherlands, then France, then Canada, Japan, New Zealand, United Kingdom, Singapore. Guess what? America doesn't even feature. Really? Not even in the list. United (laughs) States is not in the top ten. And why is that? Because all the wealth is concentrated in the top 1%. There are so many poor people in America. And the middle class has been gutted, hasn't it? Disappeared. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's an interesting statistic. Very interesting. Although I'm I'm always uncomfortable with these sorts of things because, you know, you can you can talk about, you know, how, how you measured and everything else, mm-hmm. but the, the the rich person still rich and the poor person still feels poor, still struggles through life. Well, it's yeah, it it, in terms true. of feeling poor, though, if there's if there is general equality then people don't feel so poor. So yeah. that's why happiness levels in some country, poor countries are relatively high because everybody's in the same boat. They're looking at each other and going, well, I'm kind of doing the same as those other guys, everyone else around me, and life's okay. I've yeah. got food, clothing, shelter. Whereas in an unequal society, e.g. United States of America, people looking around and seeing exorbitant wealth yeah. uh, that they don't have a chance of. So people get pretty pissed and unhappy. And isn't it interesting how the, um, the people who go to these big mega churches in America mm. um, and they hand over you know, a tithe or whatever donation they make and mm. their, their pastors live in these huge <laughs> mansions and dry, fly around in private planes. And they need that to spread the Lord's word. Yes, mm. apparently they do. Mm. Some, speaking of... Um, evangelical sort of pastors. There's some sort of thing going on in Melbourne at the moment, a big yeah. conference down there. And one of the people appearing is a guy called Nick Vujicic, uh, V-U-J-I-C-I-C. And he is a, uh, you know, he's a preacher and uh, 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 quite a celebrity evangelist, but he has no arms and no legs born that way believe oh, maybe he had a, a bad accident or an illness that might have caused them to be removed but no arms and no legs on this poor guy and um and he's you know he's turned to god and he's preaching the good word and he's been on 2500 flights and given 3500 speeches in 69 countries met with 18 presidents and 32 governments and spoken in about 2000 prisons and um, he says, God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet. So, you know, when we talk about poo-pooing religion, if you met a guy like that, would you even try to uh, open his eyes to atheism? Because that's a tough life. And if... If religion is giving him a crutch to get through, you'd be, I think, tempted to just leave well enough alone. I'd be very tempted to ask him how his evangelism 
is 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 ruining you know the the bank balances of all these little old ladies and you know right. war veterans or whatever who are giving their money to these rich pastors like like him arms or you know no arms and legs or whatever mm. um, with these empty promises of salvation eternal life and all the rest of it and try and persuade him that in fact while we could understand him getting some sort of emotional comfort from his beliefs, doesn't he realise that he's just doing virtually the work of the devil by, you know, swindling all these poor suckers out of their hard-earned money? But, but he's getting by in life. He's getting by. To but what's, some extent. Because what sort of impact is he having on other people? He's taken the view that, you know, God's made me this way in order that I can, I can give his message because of the way I've ended up. And... And he has a purpose. And yeah. if you were to say to him, well, it's all bunkum, yes. you don't see the cruelty in that? I do. But sometimes, you know, you're cruel to one person to be kind to how many others that he's, yeah. del- you know, he's feeding the delusions of a yes. lot of other people. Yes. So I'm sorry. Do I sound heartless? But No, it's no. just one of the... Ethical dilemmas, I like to It's present. a big ethical dilemma, and I agree mm. with you that you, you can sort of understand him taking comfort from that sort of delusion, but mm. the fact that he's then going out and spreading the delusion, I'm sorry, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm with Paul on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I am as well, but I'm just saying it's a pretty difficult situation. Interestingly, <clears throat> he talks about miracles. Uh, oh, let me find this quote here because... He sort of um, says he has seen miracles um, and he said that he's had his own miracle, including a degenerative spinal condition which should have left him with metal rods in his back by now. He had successive MRI scans that shown three holes in his spine disappear one by one. So that's just plain weird and sad. That that he's claiming God has performed a miracle on him by removing this degenerative yes. spinal condition. It I'm, left him without legs and arms. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Well, if it's, the Lord was so wonderful, wouldn't the Lord help him grow new arms and legs? Yeah, well, one would have thought so. Yeah, that would be a miracle. Pretty, that would be a real miracle, yeah, that would be and one, one that would... Possibly persuade me over to his side. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, interesting story in that one. Now, uh, there's been a lot of talk about um, hiring and firing of people because they don't comply with a religious ethos of the Christian group. And we had a really unusual situation in Toronto, dear listener, because we've always said, well, look, of course a priest needs to be a priest, I mean, you have to, if you're going to hire somebody to be a priest for a parish, they do have to be an ordained priest, for example. But in Toronto, uh, a, uniting, a united church minister faced an ecclesiastical court hearing because, despite being a united church minister, she had decided she was an atheist. <laughs> and they ended up settling saying, well, you can continue with your work as a United Church minister, even though you have openly professed that you are an atheist. It's an odd story, isn't it? Yeah. 
Was she talking about her atheism that she didn't believe in God or she didn't believe in the Bible? Uh, she does not believe uh, in... Uh, now, where's the phrase here that she uses for it? Let me just say... Um, uh, she's been upfront about her atheism and non-belief in the Bible for years. And this all came to a head when she wrote an open letter to the church's spiritual leader following the Charlie Hebdo massacre, in which she pointed out that belief in God can motivate bad things. And um, there were some complaints made about her because they said, how can we have somebody in this ministry who does not believe in God, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit? And... Um, let me just find the quote where it says, what sort of atheist? Uh, um, Might be a new career for me in there somewhere, I think. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm an atheist. Can yeah, I But, but she basically didn't believe in an Abrahamic interventionist God. I don't so she was So she was atheist to that extent. Yeah. So full on atheist and almost <clears throat> anti-religious in the sense that religion can do harm. So, but anyway... They, uh, they wanted to sack her and she said, no way, and they ended up settling and saying, yep, you can continue with the job. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's Reverend Greta Vosper. She's 60. Go oh, Greta. She's at the West Hill United Church. There we go. Well, <laughs> could be worse. Yeah. She'd probably be a really good minister. average salary for that sort of job these days? 40 know. grand. But the thing is, all your accommodation is cared for and That's true. Um, other things that you would normally Lots pay for that you don't, like there'd be a car provided and things like that. So, yeah. Um, right, back to Australia. There was a, a magazine that was devoted to weddings and they decided not to feature gay couples. And as a result, there was a real backlash against that magazine to such an extent that advertisers and and consumers boycotted it and they've now acknowledged that they have to shut down because they're going out of business because they've been boycotted because of their their Christian beliefs. Um, the religious groups aren't happy, but at the end of the day, they talk about religious freedom. Well, surely people have the freedom to just refuse to go to a business if they don't want to go. So, too bad. Well, that's the way I feel. Mm. You know, I I mean, I don't care that they didn't profile gay weddings or anything like that. That doesn't worry me. Mm. You know, they made a choice not to. Apparently, it's now come out that they had a religious conviction. So, people have started to boycott the uh, advertising for the magazine. The magazine's gone belly up. You know, it's one of the costs of doing business. Yep. Market but, forces, isn't yeah. it? Exactly. But uh, Freedom for Faith and other groups would say that on their Facebook page that that's a worrying sign that people can be discriminated against because of their beliefs. It's not a worrying well, sign at all. No. You so know, it, it's just, it's just you know, freedom for faith. You've got yeah. a whole free enterprise here that has failed because they haven't moved with the market. Mm. Freedom for Faith can finance a new magazine. Exactly. If they yeah. feel so strongly about it, mm. can't they? They could, yeah. Hey, um, it's summertime is kicking in. Days are getting hotter. Yeah. The threat of bushfire is upon us. Um, if we should take the advice of Donald Trump, if we were to, we would be heading out with our rakes into the forest and yes. raking up the leaves. 
And people say he's stupid. <laughs> so he was, you know, he was viewing the devastation in the California fires and he'd been making a lot of noise about how it was the, you know, the forestry people's management's fault for not managing the forest correctly in the first place because he just hates Californians because they never vote Republican. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And he came out with this statement that he was talking to the president of Finland who had told him that they manage their forests because they rake up all of the leaves and the undergrowth so that there isn't a fire hazard. (laughs) Wouldn't you think he'd check with his minders before he comes out with these ridiculous statements? He's got no idea. He's just got no idea, hasn't he? He just makes it up as he goes along. He is clueless because, I mean, you know, even if Finland did go and do that, which I don't believe they do, but even if they did, you're talking about a country that is one-tenth the size of the United States? You know, the California is probably a bigger area than Finland is. Finland doesn't rake up their leaves. They, they, no. they're, they're wet. So, exactly. And they've got different trees. They don't have exactly. the eucalypts. Yeah. They, you know, there's a whole host of reasons why. Yeah, so. but this is what I'm simply saying is that California is a state is probably larger than Finland is as a country. Yeah. So it makes no sense whatsoever that you would even suggest that, you know, that they would go and rake out all their leaves. Jesus. Right. What, what, what I mean, a, this what, guy's a... What a moron. What an adventure it would be to be on his staff and just you'd be every day it'd be what is he capable of today? What what's gonna come out of his mouth? <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> the good news about this story is it gets it gives me an opportunity to play this. Finland, Finland, Finland oh The country where <laughs> I want to be bony trekking or camping or just watching TV. Finland, Finland, Finland. It's the country for me. You're so near to Russia. Avid listeners to the podcast would know that I made the mistake many moons ago of of dissing Finland. I accused them of being sort of cranky people because I thought that's what some friends had said. But others have subsequently said it's a great country. You don't know what you're talking about, Trevor. So, so. You know, my apologies to Finland again for what I said to them about them ages ago. But put on your Finland. I remember as a as a primary school child, one Finnish family, one migrant family arriving at my school, and me marvelling at the amazing white hair of all these kids. They had really, really blonde hair, uh-huh. and and funny names. You know, they were called Timo and Sven, no, Savo, no, or something. I don't know. Yep, but. Anyway, that was that was probably one of my first tastes of multiculturalism as a child. Dear listener, time to thank our patrons. And patrons, I apologise, I have missed you out for a few weeks in a row now, but you are not forgotten. So, no, you're not. Starting at starting at the top, uh, the one, the only, Sean. You are magnificent, Sean. <laughs> thank you, Sean. Thank you, Alex Ayame, Tony Janelle. Um, Oh, I haven't got my pseudonyms down here. Uh, uh, the Beneficiary, <laughs> Craig, John, Landon Hardbottom, Wayno, Jimmy Spud, Alison, Steve, Caitlin, Matt J, Rod, Watley, Kane, Bronwyn, Robert, Dean, Manic Man, Palais, Dominic, Was, Less Is More, uh, The Squeaky Wheel, Liam, Harry, Daniel and Gavin. Thank you very much, patrons. You are appreciated. We haven't had a new patron in a long time, dear listener, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, my big begging speech from about five weeks ago didn't, didn't 
didn't rustle up a single patron out of that. We've, we've been stuck where we are. So. Whereas I have managed to deliver this <laughs> podcast three, that's, no, four beer sponsors. That's right. So you're doing well. I might put you in charge of patronage, Scott. Yeah. So, so there you go, dear listener. It's easy to do. You head over to Patreon and you just sign up. And um, dollar a show is all we ask. And, uh, you know, what's that? Price of a cup of coffee a month and you get this magnificent podcast. So think about it. It'd be much appreciated. Mm. Right. ScoMo. (laughs) (laughs) We mentioned uh, when we were in the Mexican restaurant briefly, I think, about uh, what he had said about, well, when we had this guy who was either insane or a terrorist or a bit of both in Melbourne, and Scott Morrison... This, this was his response to the media. Exactly. I've, got it, yeah. I've got it in front of me here. Is Look, I'm a member of a religious community. Actually, maybe I could try this. I'll do my Scott Morrison thing. See if this works. So I'll see if... Uh, here, we, here we go. This was Scott Morrison. Look, I'm a member of a religious community and my pastor knows what's going on in our church community. He would know or his wife would know if there was someone who was leading a local Bible group or something like that who is teaching things that is not in accordance with what our faith believes. And they'd be dealing with it, because that's the responsibility of a religious leader. Toss a Scott Morrison <laughs> <laughs> What does all that mean? He's saying... He, he's say, what he was saying was he was saying that the imams should have known what was going on, and that the imams didn't know about it, or they turned a blind eye to it. Yeah. Yeah. What a ridiculous notion. With regard to that unfortunate... Yeah, they're yeah. saying that the local religious community should have known, should have known or were turning a blind eye to and it. And this is the whole... And that his community, his religious community, would never have allowed that to happen. No. Well, this is the whole point, that a mosque is very different to a church. A church is very centralised around a pastor or a priest or what have you. The imams, they don't play a central role in the congregation's life. They do play a role, but they don't play a central role. But even the notion that that Christian groups can keep tabs of what renegade people in their community are going to be doing, you know, and the example that came from the Batuta advocate was that uh, the footballer, Jared Hayne, who's just been charged. So charged, dear listener, not convicted, so just accused uh, of rape. He's a member of uh, Assemblies of God, so you know where was his, you know, pastor um, when uh, when Jared Hayne was getting into trouble, perhaps. So you know, as if you can, as if a priest can keep tabs of every. This is our prime minister saying yeah. that a priest should be keeping tabs on all of the congregants, or his wife would know. Exactly, his what? wife. Yes, or his wife would know. What a sexist thing to say. Goodness me. So. His wife should be the, the pastor and yeah, maybe well, the guy should be making the scones. Because his wife is also heading around and, you know, sharing cups Sticky of tea with people. Sticky-beaky into everybody's personal affairs. Yeah, but this is yes. back in the day when you had a church congregation of maybe 100 people in Max, whereas he's got a couple of thousand every weekend, doesn't it? Oh, he's the Horizon Church. Yeah. I don't know how many, but he's claiming that's what would happen today. Yeah. So anyway, there was a great article in Crikey, and I'll read some of this article because it's got some great language in there. Uh, it says, 
Um, Scott Morrison is trying to find the right balance between his dual image as a devout Christian and a daggy but relatable suburban dad. While the serial unveiling of Scott Morrison continues apace, it is about the most interesting thing happening in Australian politics at the moment. <laughs> God, it's true, been... actually. There's nothing going on except this. this Scott Morrison's the most the... interesting thing happening Apparently in Australia. Apparently so, politics. yes. It God, is. We must be dull. Is the realisation of, you know, day by day what we've got ourselves here for a Prime Minister. Is There's nothing much going on otherwise in politics. No, there's not. In Australia at the moment, so... Um, anyway, the liberal warrior, the, the liberal happy warrior, is like a Roman soldier Christian at the moment. His armour stripped away piece by piece to reveal a naked torso for the arrows of martyrdom. They thud into him at every press conference. <laughs> ever it's since a great he, image. Yeah, ever since he revealed that he had prayed for an end to the drought, the game has been on. Scamo and his handlers had hoped that they could turn him into Howard II, the suburban dad. Alas. He's now like the chaplain brought in for compulsory RE who must endure 2,000 years of theological questioning from smart-ass teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> Morrison could be opening the new Bruce J. Tingwell drainage hub in Dubbo and someone is still going to ask him if he prayed for better municipal waste management. Were <laughs> <laughs> uh, he your standard Christian atheist, i.e. an Anglican, he could just brush it off. He could say, well, that's below God's pay grade. It would end. But ScoMo is the real deal, a genuine evangelical Christian who it seems will not prevaricate on his faith. So he tells us of the children he has imprisoned yet prays for, the rain he prays for. He claims his pastor would know if there were terrorists in the middle of his flock. This can't be a deliberate strategy, can it? Australian suburban dagginess and religion uh, don't mix. Howard never mentioned God that I can recall, and even when he talked about Western civilization, it was usually in British terms, not on the Judeo-Christian thing. Not so sure about that, but he would... I can't recall Howard. The first I ever heard of Howard being related to a church was the morning after he won the election in 1996. Right. And someone rang to talk to him, and his daughter said, no, they're in church. Right. And that was where the first I ever remember him mentioning God or anything like that. Right. Since then, you know, I, I don't know. Since his retirement, since he got bundled out, he's, he certainly mentioned Judeo-Christian a lot. He more. has, yes, he yeah. has, he has mentioned a lot more. Before it would have been more of a tradition. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's probably right about when he was in power. Uh, it says here in this article, the school chaplains program was as cultural as it was religious, mm. from Howard's point of view. Probably true. Hmm. Uh, he goes on uh, about Morrison. This is a source of buttock-clenching embarrassment for most Australians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, he says we're not really that religious. Um, uh, saying Morrison is contradictory and um, he's predicting disaster for ScoMo is how the article finishes. But anyway, some good lines in there. From, uh, from the Crikey article. Mm. Disaster is coming for ScoMo. I don't think there's any um, doubt about that. I mean, the, the, look, there was some correction in the poll. The latest poll's got him now 52 to 48. In uh, preferred Prime Minister, I still believe he's behind Bill Shorten. No, he's been pre- preferred Prime Minister ahead of Shorten all the whole time. Has he? Yeah, yeah. Shorten's always the least preferred Prime Minister. Always. Oh, okay. But, mm. yeah. 
but he's no bounced back a little bit, there. a couple of percentage points. But hopefully, hopefully that's just um, statistical errors. Well, but, one would hope so. But anyway, yeah. what, what will happen post election if he if he just really loses badly? Oh, he's gone. Yes, but I mean, what's his explanation? Why wasn't God helping him? <laughs> wasn't he praying hard enough? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what he says. Um, it'll be like the guy with no arms and legs. Actually, it won't it? be interesting it'd, it'd, to see what he says. Hopefully, it'll be the last we hear of him. Well, this would be very awesome. interesting to see his concession speech. You know, because I, I, I think the government is lost. You know, I, I can't Hope, see. Hopefully, we're not replying that. No. <laughs> The day after the next election. <laughs> no, I, in, I can't in see. Sense. I can't see how the coalition can pull this from the fire. Mm. You know, they had a chance with Turnbull, but they blew that chance when they when they rolled him over the neg. So that makes no sense whatsoever. I, I honestly believe the coalition is finished. Mm. I, I've got a link to an article from the Sunday paper which talks about Scott Morrison's. Um, time as head of Tourism Australia. Yeah, that was really interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, basically saying that there was a number of audit reports done and inquiries of how that group spent its money and that the contracts um, were not done in the normal way and that... They weren't transparent and they didn't follow the normal protocols and we're talking million-dollar contracts and that uh, the Saturday paper is is basically suggesting that that was a key reason why Morrison was sacked because of of controversy around contracts and the way they were done. So uh, more will happen on that one. I'll get hold of those contracts and have a good look at them and... And um, it sounds like his management of Tourism Australia was abysmal. He was only there 19 months. And um, when asked about why he was moved on, the then tourism minister at the time was Fran Bailey. And she said, quote, I reiterate that it was a unanimous decision to get rid of Mr Morrison by the board and the minister. So... After 19 months. Well, I think next May it'll be a unanimous decision to get rid of him again, won't it? Hopefully. But there we go. Guy failed miserably by the looks of things in managing Tourism Australia and he's now in charge of our country. Yikes. Hopefully he doesn't last 19 months in this job. (laughs) Um. Josh Frydenberg and our old friend Mahathir, the recalcitrant from Indonesia. Uh, Indo- no, Malaysia, sorry. Malaysia. Um, um, basically, this whole embassy in Jerusalem, you guys, impressions? Okay. I think it's a ridiculous move to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. However, if we're going to do it, we should do it despite the protests of Indonesia and Malaysia. However, I don't think there's any good reason to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a, is a, is a um, contested territory. It makes no sense whatsoever to recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. It's only historically got a... 
Jerusalem's only got a historical claim to that capital of Israel anyway. Not in the recent history, but if you're talking biblical history, blah, 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 blah. So that makes no sense whatsoever to move the embassy to a contested capital. However, you've given three butts and one however, so yeah. I Scott. No, well, this is, the thing that, this is the thing that I find incredible about this is that, and this is something that Jimmy and I were discussing during the week, was that um, how can you claim that Islam is a religion of peace and then you, in your next very next breath, say you'd better not move your embassy to, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, otherwise that will encourage terrorism in Australia. Mm. Now, that is a very good question. Mm. It was a good point, Jimmy. Mm. Yeah, very good that. point. Mm. Look, what do you do when you're in an embassy? You liaise with other countries about stuff all the time. I would have thought that the whole point of embassies are that you're not just dealing with your host country, but you're also dealing with a whole bunch of other embassies over all sorts of other issues. So, you know, an Australian, a German, an Italian are all in jail for drug running or whatever. You know, you, you, there be a lot of cooperation and communication and sharing of information. So if all of the other embassies are in Tel Aviv, it would be madness to be out in the boondocks it really in terms be. of embassy locations, yeah. you should be in the thick of it. Um, that would make sense. Well, that, that's probably the most and, sensible, and sensible the thing answer is, I've, said to, I've heard it from the whole thing. And just, you know, following Donald Trump is just something you have to think and twice Guatemala. about. And Guatemala. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, even if it was a really, really good idea, you would just think, well, I don't want to send a signal to Donald Trump that we're... Supporting him on everything, it just, it just that alone would be enough to make me stop. But um, very anti-Trump, of course. So um, it, there's a little bit, you know, the, the guys who are coming out of the woodwork in support of moving the embassy, Josh Frydenberg, Jewish, and a lot of the hardline Christians, like it's the Christian nutters who score very poorly on our secular index, who are in favour of this move. Yes. Yeah. And there's this whole end times sort of scenario Absolutely here. There if is. you can help me out with this 12th man, maybe. But it seems that part of the legends in the Bible is that the Jews must return to Jerusalem and only then will the, will the Almighty God come back and in the second coming. And so this is seen by these people as a, as a means of precipitating the end times. That's right. It's a sign that yes. the end times are near, isn't it? Yeah. And there are a whole bunch of American conservative Christians apparently uh, would be not that unhappy if a nuclear war started in the Middle East because, as you say, it would precipitate the return of Jesus. Yeah. So, so yeah, when you look at the list of characters coming out of the woodwork in support of this, they are the Christian nutters. Yeah. Oh, that's frightening. Yeah. But one person who's come out, um, has Christopher Pine ever impressed you for in any way at all? Uh, not really. He's, I know he's a moderate and all that sort of thing, but he's still a fool. He, well, yeah. Well, he came out and said, look, I've got a solution for this. We should have two embassies. One, in, one in Tel Aviv and one in Jerusalem. And what's his uh, pay scale? No, he said that he wanted to have... Where is it? 
Um, if able two diplomatic two diplomatic presences, presences uh, the the Australian embassy in West Jerusalem and a separate facility in East Jerusalem oh. in the event of a Palestinian state. Oh, oh, I didn't read that bit. I yes. just got to the two right. Yes, so, so he's, he's not he's saying he's saying you should move it from Tel Aviv, but you should move it to West Jerusalem and East Jerusalem. Right, because in fact it's only East Jerusalem that is supposedly contested, isn't it? Well, East Jerusalem is contested, yes, because that was part of the 1967 war or something like that. Yeah, it was but, part of Jordan. Yeah, it was part of Jordan, but then the Jordanians invaded e- e- uh, Israel, so Israel hit back, blah, 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 blah. So. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But, uh, anyway, look, here's something to help us feel a little bit better. If you're worried, dear listener, that all of our pollies just seem to be incredibly incompetent, uh, when we're not alone in the world. <laughs> so the minister in charge of Japan's cybersecurity says he has never used a computer in his life. And so they were asking him stuff about, you know, what if people use a USB or whatever, and he was just flummoxed. Like he had no idea. The guy has never used a computer. He, he said, if I need to send an email, I just tell my secretary to send it. Like he, he's never actually used a computer in his life and he's in charge of cyber security. He has no idea how they work. So there we go. Wouldn't you think the Prime Minister of Japan would have had things like that checked out before appointing him as Minister? Be all sorts of One political reasons. So. All sorts of political and factional reasons, no doubt. Uh, yeah. And finally, uh, maybe finally, we'll see how we go. I, 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 you know, we've talked a lot about identity politics on this uh, podcast over the time and Talked a lot about different nutters, but uh, here we go. A 69-year-old Dutch man who described himself as a positivity guru uh, <coughs> says he does not feel his age and has started a battle to make himself legally 20 years younger on the ground that he's being discriminated against on a dating app. So Emil Rattelbarn told a court that he did not com- feel comfortable with the date of his birth and he identified as somebody younger in the same way that people who identify as a different gender can just swap genders. He uh, is identifying as a man 20 years younger, so instead of being 69, he feels 49. Um, he says that um, the official age does not reflect his emotional state and as a result, he's struggling to find both work and love. Um, he said, when I'm 69, I'm limited. If I'm 49, then I can buy a new house and drive a different car. I can take up more work. When I'm on Tinder and it says I'm 69, I don't get an answer. When I'm 49, with the face I have, I will be in a luxurious position. <laughs> uh, doctors have told him his body was that of a 45-year-old man. That's what this guy argues, and he described himself as a young god. I, I think he should. Don't worry about identifying as a 49-year-old. Just identify as a dickhead and probably. There are job. many kinds of delusion out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it makes... Uh, you don't think it makes any sense? No, it doesn't, because he's trying to... <laughs> people are very judgmental about age. They might be very judgmental about age, but if you really want to, you just lie about your age on Tinder. You know, so. <laughs> this, this, this is the man who just declared all, all baby boomers to be scoundrels and parasites. They are, absolutely. 
think we can say that Scott is uh, judgmental about age. <laughs> I know people are judgmental about age. It is. People, yourself. I, you, okay, you? I am very judgmental about age. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, actually, I should apologise to any of our listeners out there who oh. are baby boomers. Oh. Yeah, right. Oh, for God's sake, you Paul, apologize I now? apologise to you for saying that you're a parasite. <laughs> Thank you. I accept your apology. <laughs> You've called an entire cohort parasites and now you're, now you're giving an apology. I have apologised to them. <laughs> How much do you want me to say? Look, but really, I mean, what is the difference between him wanting to pretend he's 20 years younger and someone... Wanting to imagine they're a different well, gender. Well, it's he fraudulent to, he, for, he for start. He wants to have his birth certificate altered to say that he was born in 1969, not 1949. Like, like well, he, that's a lie, obviously. Like, he might meet some woman and he would say, I'm 49. And she goes, oh, okay, you look a little bit old, but oh, that's good because, yeah. you know, I was worried you were 69 and yes. I don't want to get together with a guy and find him deteriorate and me having to nurse him into his deathbed. Um, so... It's just fraudulent, it to, is fraudulent to claim you're an age that you're not. And that yes. would just be giving him a green light and um, excusing him from what would otherwise be fraudulent behaviour. So no sympathy for that guy. No, none whatsoever. The guy's an idiot. Mm. Speaking of identity, I've got a link to an article about a guy who was raised as a Native American. Always believed that his father was of some obscure... Indian, uh, Native American Indian tribe, and indeed throughout his life he suffered uh, discrimination because of it and insults and was referred to as a all normal sort of Native American insults and that was okay. Cause a redskin? Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe something <laughs> Remember like Remember the um, Washington debacle Redskins? about, the, yeah, the football yeah. team or yeah. something. Yeah, yes. You're diverting me. Let me get Sorry. back on track here. Anyway, <laughs> it turned out that he met some members of his extended family and tests were done and his father was not a Native American at all. In fact, his grandfather was Chinese and had married a local woman and by combination had an appearance of Native American but but had no Native American um, ancestry at all. Well, the Native and, Americans were Asian. By yeah. ancestry, so it's easy course. to see how it could happen. Yes. And uh, so this guy writing this article goes, well, I feel completely flummoxed now because I identified as a Native American and now I'm not. And he's, he's like, this is the thing. If you're going to make a big hullabaloo about identifying on something as random as your genetic ancestry, then got no sympathy for you you've just chosen to make something so important that isn't necessarily the case and we did something several couple of months ago maybe about ernie dingo who thought he was from a nomadic the tribe of aboriginals and it turns out he wasn't and he had identified as a sort of a nomadic spirit and when confronted with the evidence went oh shit i'm not a nomadic character at was all. Was he traumatised? He was. He had to sort of sit down and, and deal with his new identity. Um, have some therapy or something. You know, so for goodness sake. Anyway, that was an interesting example of the dangers of identifying. Have I told you that in fact I identify as a Viking? 
No? No. No, well, I don't no. actually. All oh, right, okay. I'll think of. Okay. I, th- I think I'd like a new identity of some kind. So no. can you guys come How up with something? How much younger do you want to be? Yeah. Hmm? How much younger do you want to be? Uh, I'd like to be about 40 years younger, frankly. <laughs> find love you know maybe scott not only are you in charge of beer but you could be in charge of finding love for the 12th man (laughs) all we'll tell you is that he's a baby boomer and he's well spoken as as you've worked out already yeah he's very well spoken yeah send in your resumes okay well dear listener we've come to the end of yet another podcast and uh thank you for tuning in and um we'll speak to you next week bye for now Yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye now. See you guys. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.